Welcome to Blocks and Talks, the podcast that brings you everything you need to know about LEGO. From covering past, present, and future LEGO sets, to interviews with notable community members, our show covers it all. Released in 2005 and with only 5 sets, LEGO Dino Attacked was a short-lived theme in LEGO's 2000s era, yet it had a huge impact on LEGO culture as a whole, being marked as one of LEGO's most violent themes. So much so that the overseas markets required a different variation of the Dino theme to be more appealing and friendly to kids. The premise of the story is fairly straightforward from the surface. Mutant dinosaurs appear out of nowhere and ravage LEGO cities worldwide, threatening to end the world. A team of Dino Attack members are created to combat these creatures. And while the plot could serve as a simple backdrop for most, it actually leaves a lot of questions, such as where did these monsters come from? What is their purpose? What universe is this connected to in the LEGO world? And so on. This series will uncover every detail behind the lore, as well as the sets that made Dino Attack such a distinctive theme in the 2000s. However, Dino Attack was not alone. In one of the few examples LEGO has ever done, they created two variations of the theme, Dino Attack and Dino 2010. Dino 2010 was for European markets due to Dino Attack's excessively violent nature. These European sets were less direct, with the vehicles having capturing equipment to trap and capture dinos rather than killing, like Dino Attack has. We'll be covering more on that later this episode. So back to Dino Attack, we are joined by Lorescape to help dig deeper into the mystery that is LEGO Dino Attack. If you aren't familiar with Lorescape, please be sure to check out our interview in a previous episode to learn more. So we open up with the ravaged battlefields of Man vs. Dino. According to an old LEGO site for Dino Attack, the conflict was a worldwide one as seen in the opening image of a global map with red highlights on Dino Attacks, showing that the events are happening worldwide. So to open that, I would do want to um, introduce Lorescape. So he will be joining us for this entire series. So how are you doing, Lorescape? Doing good. How about you guys? Doing fantastic. And just a brief rundown, Lorescape is a huge expert in Lego lore and breaking that stuff down. So be sure to check out his YouTube channel, which we will be linking in the um, description. So I know you are pretty uh, in-depth with your research. So you wanted to talk a bit about like what you found to kind of kick things off? Yeah, one of the fun things about Dino Attack is that they never really went into the backstory, um, you know, with, with why the dinosaurs are there um, and and what they are exactly, because they seem to be some kind of maybe mutants, maybe uh, robots. Um, we don't really know what they are, but I, I did find a Reddit thread um, with uh, Lego designer Mark Stafford uh, about nine years ago. He had responded to to someone's post about one of the original Dino Attack sets. Um, and for the the explanation for why the dinosaurs were there, he had said that it he the understanding was that there was some kind of dino theme park, um, kind of like Jurassic Park, but with robotic dinosaurs or Westworld with dinosaurs, you know, some kind of Michael Crichton plot either way, um, and that they had gone out of control and nothing could stop them. Um, but uh, it's a, it's an interesting uh, bit of backstory, but I, I always found it entertaining that they never really went into it in the, the sets, magazines, or uh, comics or anything. 
Yeah, I think what made this theme interesting that we'll see as we talk more about this is that a lot of the information or lore bits are not derived from the official descriptions, but more so supplemental knowledge surrounding all around it from like, like you said, Reddit posts, random Lego medium books, Lego games, um, just any reference, even the magazines from back then. So it was a really weird theme as I felt like it had a lot that wanted to go into it, but they had to keep it simple at the same time for like product marketing. And then another comment I just want to make because it seemed kind of cool is that although this post was nine years ago, um, it's just interesting to see that Lego employees in general do actually read Reddit comments or threads and respond to them. I feel like nowadays, or at least with the Star Wars community, that's a super, super rare thing that basically never happens. So maybe it was a back then thing before Lego became like really, really big with adult collectors now. But it's just cool to see that, you know, the the people behind the company do read fan comments and such. But now that this, yeah, I've been involved in this, yeah. in this for long enough that I always forget that uh, there's there's been an explosion recently of the day falls and stuff. Uh, been been here for a while. Yeah, I guess if you've been with the theme, it kind of just it feels the same. Like oh, it's just cooler sets coming out. But if you just joined, you don't really know what it was like beforehand and all that. But yeah, now that the scene is set, let's kind of um, introduce the team members of the Dino Tech Squad. There are four members total, so. First member is Shadow, and the official LEGO description for Shadow is that he's the most driven member of the Dino Hunting Squad. His home city was devastated in the first Dino attack, and although his family made it to safety, his entire neighborhood was flattened. An adventurer who has been in every international hotspot, he prefers to use the Sonic Screamer first and worry about the Dino's intentions later. He and Specs argue a lot over whether the team should simply be defending against Dino attacks or actually tracking down Dino nests and taking the fight to them. So Shadow's minifigure is pretty interesting. They just got standard black uniforms that will be like the running thing for these Dino members and just got plain black torso or plain black legs. His torso looks like a full like military belt. He's got like ammo or syringe patches on a belt he's got uh, all sorts of different tools and equipment wrapped all around and then on his face he's got like these gray camo um, paint marks so the next member is viper and his description is that um, viper is no scientist and wouldn't even try to pronounce dino names to him they are all just scales viper was drafted to work with the team and believes the best way to beat a thunder lizard is with lightning speed strike first strike fast and get away clean is his motto he gets along well with the other team members and is usually the one to calm Shadow down. Although he hasn't told the others, Viper's goal is to beat the biggest and baddest of the Tyrannosaurs single-handed. And his minifigure is actually one of the only different ones. He does run the same plain black legs, but he kind of runs a sleeveless shirt. So his arms are plain like minifigure yellow, but his, his torso runs uh, old Lego gray with another utility belt of ammo or syringes. And on his suspenders, he actually has like a red knife um, clutched on, which is pretty interesting. He has this like Lego black cap, the ones that like the old Lego um, Hoth Rebel Troopers used to use. And then he has sunglasses and a nice little scar. It's a pretty cool figure. And I didn't even notice the knife until I, I sat down to take a detailed look at the figures for this recording. It's uh, an interesting detail. 
yeah some of them are pretty um <laughs> i think it matches the whole violent thing like they're arms to the teeth and i mean they're pretty unique decorations i think even for today's standards you could pretty um integrate these figures into cool custom mocks for like military or post-apocalyptic things Yep, definitely. And the the whole post-apocalyptic setting is is sort of what Dino Attack is all about. It's not something that you see very often in Lego, but um, the the wrecked cityscape is a big part of the, the uh, box pack thing and everything. Uh, so the next member of Dino Attack is Spex, and uh, he's actually the leader. He's described as a chemist, biologist, paleontologist, and nuclear physicist. Uh, he invented most of the equipment used by the team, including the Xenon multi-mode launcher, is the most skilled technician of them all. That's part of the dino attack lore is that they're developing weapons to um, defend against the, the dinosaurs. And they all have cool kind of sci-fi names. Um, and they're, they're very detailed in their specifications for, for some of these as far as the technic babble goes. Um, I think it was to try and uh, distract from the fact that some of them resemble real-world weapons in a way that uh, LEGO doesn't usually do. Um, but he, part of him wishes that the attack could capture the dinosaurs for study, or at least try to discover the root cause for their attack. He clashes with Shadow over tactics and strategy and gets frustrated because Shadow does whatever he likes, regardless of orders. Um, and that's, I think that's one of the fun things about Dino Attack is that they tried to introduce like a conflict amongst the team members, which is something that you didn't really see in like Lego Adventures or something like that. Uh, so Spex has got uh, a vest, uh, a utility vest, and he's got all the, the Kind of tools of his trade. He's got a screwdriver, looks like some pliers and some wire, um, and uh, some kind of electronic device sticking out of his pocket. I think pretty cool. Um, he's wearing, I think it's called like a, a balaclava, like the ski mask looking thing, which makes him unusually intimidating for someone who's who's uh, described as the brains of the team. Uh, one of the things that I think is funny is that his, his nickname is Specs, but he doesn't have glasses, uh, but Viper does. So that led to some confusion in the in the set descriptions about who is who. Um, but I think it's probably short for the specifications of the weapons that he's designing. Um, but it's kind of a little funny thing that they were confused so often that it makes sense because of the glasses. Uh, the final member of the team is Digger, who is a famous paleontologist. He goes on uh, where, excuse me, Digger is a famous paleontologist. He goes where no dinosaur hunter will and digs deeper in his search for bones than anyone ever has before. His knowledge of dinosaur lore and his dead aim with the cosmetronic ray makes him a valuable addition to the team. Digger's only drawback is that he lives for thrills and sometimes will put himself in danger just for the excitement. More than once he's waited to the last possible second before using the cosmetronic ray in order to increase the potential peril. Um, he's got the usual team member helmet, um, got, uh, some rope tied to his vest, um, as well as a belt, a uh, canteen. Um, and uh, there's also a Dino Attack tag, which I think appears on most members of the team except for Specs. That's another little detail that I didn't really notice until we started looking at these figures for the, the podcast. There's a tiny little tag that says D. Oh, I do see it. Yeah, that little golden square with the D. Yeah, I see it. And it's also cool. I think he's wearing a bandana. You can't see it because the helmet's covering most oh, of yeah, it. Yeah. But the little part, the little string at the end is hanging out on his face print. I think it's honestly really cool how each character has like really unique properties and even their character designs are very distinct and to have all this detail for Lego in the early 2000s is kind of fascinating because we kind of take it for granted for now that Lego builds lore out like with Ninjago, Dreams, um, Legends of Chima, just things like that. But 
way back then, I don't think it was as standard for Lego to put all this effort into making character like cards, bios, even like thinking about that stuff. So in a way, it is a predecessor to a lot of modern Lego themes with like story building and interaction. Yeah, I think the biggest thing with Dino Tech is again like the um, attempt at character development and, and leaning into the genre where there there's interpersonal con- conflict amongst the team because it's not too different from uh, something like Rock Raiders that ha- came out a, a couple of years before um, in '99. Uh, um, but uh, in terms of them having different personalities that come into conflict with each other, um, that that's something that I think is pretty unique to Dino Tech. Yeah. And of course, no heroes are um, alone without adversaries. So let's introduce these mutant monsters because they are kind of crazy compared to what a traditional dinosaur would be. So the first one we have is Mutant Lizard. And these things were unique Lego, like all the dinosaurs were unique molds. So they were either one piece static molds or they were um, kind of early versions of the modern Jurassic Park sets where they would have like a big body that's a singular mold and then you just like clip on the arms and legs and such. So and I guess that's just another point of these things kind of being the trailblazers for modern Lego. So yeah, these mutant lizards, they came in different color variations actually. So you could get a brown one, a purple one, a black one. So really funky colors. And they actually did have their own unique character cards that detailed like their powers and um, behavior. So just to talk about mutant lizards. Their powers are speed and various assorted abilities, including chameleon powers, acid, darkness, heightened stealth, and fire breathing. They're not particularly strong individually, but they usually operate in groups. And the description of them is that the bulk of the dino army is made up of these mutant lizards. Powers vary based on breed, and they have shown the ability to adapt to attacks made from them. So the same thing rarely works twice, and they're pretty good at infiltrating bases. I mean, that sounds kind of overpowered, and I can see why they were able to overrun a lot of these cities. But the best way to describe them is that um, they kind of look like, yeah, just what you would think, like a salamander or something just really beefed up. Like they're standing on their back two legs, almost like a T-Rex, so they got really big back two legs that do have studs on the bottom, so they do sit on Lego um, system. The arms are almost like a T-Rex too, like really tiny and like kind of bent forward and their whole body's hunched with this barbed tail on the back and these like wicked teeth and glistening white eyes. They really do look really freaky if you ever have the chance to see one. And of course they are I, one static, oh sorry, yeah, but they are one static mold so no posability on that end. So I just want to hop in and, and say that not only do they not really look like your traditional Lego toy here, they don't I really even look like a physical object. Uh, they look more like um, a, a computer-generated image. So I'm, I'm really curious about getting my hands on some of these guys because I, I, I don't know what they would look like in real life. They're, they're so unusual in their shape and stance. Yeah, I, I mean, it's almost like something an AI would draw because there really isn't a way. Like when I made that comparison to like a salamander, even then, I was like, oh, that's a bit of a stretch because it really is just its own unique thing. But yeah, I, I, I can yeah. see it, though, because they're kind of sleek and, and they've got the little um, little arms in front. The, the, they're, they're described as lizards, but, but like you said, they look more like salamanders. Yeah, almost like T-Rexes, too, with their poses. I'm pretty sure normally with 
reptiles, they go on all four. So you see these little guys on two really beefy, disproportionate legs. Because their legs are like massive compared to their body, like muscular, huge things. But I guess it makes sense if they are rapid fire inflict base base breakers. But the second one we got is the Raptor. And he runs a more standard scheme that the other dinos have, which is a mainly black base with a little bit of color undersides. So the best way to describe him is that he has like a black top base and then on like his stomach and underside of his body, it's like a, a yellowy color. His eyes are pure red. So um, I guess that kind of ties into like the mystery of what these dinosaurs really are. Because a traditional dinosaur doesn't have blood red, pure, like solid red eyes. So... That'll be something to keep an ear out, guys, in the coming episodes to learn more about what these things are and where they come from. But he's an interesting piece where it's like one molded body and then his arms, legs, tail, and um, yeah, not the jaw, but it looks like it. But those other parts are uh, attached separately. His jaw does run on a hinge to open and close. Same thing. He's got like spiky pointed teeth, barbed tail. And actually, funny enough, on his back, he has a, a molded uh, brick into it. So it's a two by two plate. I guess that adds some customization or features. Although the sets officially don't have anything, I guess that leaves it open to interpretation of what you want to do with it. But the Raptor's powers are officially described as strength, speed, heightened senses, and a force field. So... His description is that it's a complete hunter with enhanced sight and hearing. It can track down any prey and is strong enough to tear the fire hammer to bits. The fire hammer being one of the vehicles we'll be going over later. Its force fields can shield it from most attacks, although it is vulnerable to the cosmetronic ray. So basically think of this as like a velociraptor except juiced up. Like it has the traditional hunting powers where it's an apex predator, but... Instead of being able to be hunted down with traditional things, its force field blocks most things, save the Cosmotronic Ray, which is kind of crazy. And these two first ones are just like the, the tinier guys of the army. Has, there are two, um, the later two are actually the big bads of the dino army. Right, the next it? dino is a Pteranodon. I think that's not, uh, not technically a dinosaur, but you know, definitely in the whole prehistoric genre. Um, its powers are flight, agility, and lightning vision. It serves as the Dino Attack Air Force. The Pteranodon is used for scouting missions and for launching attacks on the T-1 Typhoon. Uh, that's the big helicopter, which we'll get into later. Its skill, speed, and agility make it hard to hit when in flight, and the lightning bolts it shoots from its, the tips of its wings make it a formidable force. Um, I think that the, the interesting implication that we're seeing with all the dinos up until now is that they're definitely organized as some kind of army. They have a, an intelligence behind them and they're not just uh, striking out randomly. Lore, I think. Um, the final dinosaur is the T-Rex uh, and it has massive strength, near invulnerability, and laser vision. Its mouth is a nuclear furnace that can disintegrate anything that its jaws close upon. It's described as the king of the dino attack monsters. It's the ultimate machine creature. Like the real thing, it can demolish buildings with one sweep of its tail or bite through solid steel. Its laser vision protects it from aerial attacks, and its internal furnace can disintegrate oncoming rockets. And this is the clearest indication in the, in the lore as published that these are uh, some kind of mechanical creatures as opposed to 
um, you know, being like like in uh, Jurassic Park where they're they're clones or or something like that. Um, that being said, there are indications that they're both um, mechanical or biological, depending on the um, descriptions and uh, some of the the concept artwork that we've been able to dig up um, even shows like three-legged dinosaurs and and all kinds of crazy configurations. So even when the the theme was finalized, they hadn't really settled on the idea of what is the process behind resurrecting these dinosaurs. Are they robots or are they um, kind of genetic creations um, that they really hadn't been settled on? Yeah, and I think these two actually have some of the funkiest and coolest designs, like the Pteranodon. Same thing, it's like a one big mold with attachable wings. I believe the legs are part of the actual mold. Very unique looking parts. Like the wings are textured so that like you see his individual like fingered appendages like kind of printed through. Same barbed tail actually still has the two by two plate on his back. And then runs a black top with a green, uh, yeah, like a dark foresty green underside. This one's pretty ferocious. It's got, I think, the most teeth out of all the dinos so far. Lots of rows of jagged pointed teeth. And same thing, running a hinged mouth that can open and close. And the blood red eyes, which I guess further hints, like he said, it about um, these things not being the most natural of creatures. And the T-Rex is actually a cool one because obviously, like we said, it was the biggest one of them all. Um, big body, got attachable arms, legs, tail, all that mouth can open and close and this one actually had two variations in two different sets it it came in two different colors one came with like the same dark foresty green underside and the other one came with this like fire red underside so why there are two i guess that's another lore implication that we'll find out later on but really interesting that these like mecha monster machine or at least we assume so right now do have like these slight variations and like you said they do appear to be coordinated and almost they have like abilities that complement each other and that they have different functions and features rather than you know being like traditional animals where all just try to eat each other to survive really hints that yep. you know there's a coordinated effort behind all this one of the things i like about the the t-rex is that it, it, the face has like indentations that kind of make it look like a, a skin was thinly applied to, you know, your regular T-Rex skeleton. You can see little indentations between the eyes and the nostrils. Um, and and uh, I think that's pretty cool. Oh, yeah, for sure. I, I mean, just these little hints, you know, it all adds up to create a bigger story. And I think, I, well, I don't think it's intentional. I think it really is a cool little rabbit hole and is the whole point of this little series to kind of break down what we can find in see what this theme really was all about yeah and one final note about the dinosaur design is that you can almost see at the attachment points for the limbs uh something similar to the construction system that they used to create um, dinosaurs for i think the the 2001 dinosaur theme um back in the day where you had a bunch of different dinosaurs and different canisters um, and you can mix and match the parts um, the, the attachment points are pretty similar uh and even though the body shape is unique to dinosaur here Mm -hmm. and of course like mentioned earlier there's only five sets in this team so really short-lived but let's just jump in with the smallest one. First one is set number 7473 steel sprinter versus mutant lizard this one came out in 2005 came with 42 pieces uh retailed for around four dollars which today you can buy for around 22 or 
used for 13 sets you around 10 cents price per piece about yeah and it um as the smallest vehicle it does set a pretty light standard for what was to come but all the vehicles come with like the dinotech's presumed like vehicle flare which is a tan tan and uh best way to describe it is from star wars republic red like tan and republic red that is like their whole color and then it's mixed with like really grungy colors like dark gray black to give that like raw mechanical feel and of course they're adorned with their weapons so in this one it does come with one mutant lizard in the black variation and um comes with does that team member's name again it is slipping my mind red that one's digger digger yes thanks and it's a really grungy one if like if we just look at the box art itself like it's really dark color so besides the vehicle and the a mutant lizard we just see them placed on top of like this destroyed broken road there's like flames all around the back and then in the backdrop we got this like darkened city that looks like it's already been run down by the dinosaurs all the colors just so like dark and gloomy you know yeah very atmospheric yeah but um just talking about the weapon itself so each vehicle is equipped with a unique weapon so for this steel sprinter, it does come with the Cosmotronic Ray. And the official lore for the Cosmotronic Ray is that um, it was designed to in incapacitate mutant dinos. So shortly into the war, it was revealed to have a more important specific purpose, which is to use against raptors, whose force fields can repel any attacks except for Cosmotronic Rays. And then uh, as an attack, uh, sorry, as a result, when finding a pack of mutant raptors, Dinotech agents armed with Cosmotronic Race are usually put at the front lines to quickly dispatch the mutant dino threat. So it looks like this one's a little more flexible in that it can take on dinosaur, dino, or sorry, I don't know why I'm mixing up all the dinosaurs. I guess dino, dino, dino kind of blurs everything, but raptor and mutant lizards, it's like a little two in one. But the race, yeah, I wonder. I wonder sometimes if these mutant lizards weren't intended to be raptors originally, um, and then the next ones up are like supposed to be allosauruses or or something like that. Yeah, and the ray is actually a pretty simple build. It runs the old Lego recording camera uh, molded element backwards, and then there's like a little um, one by one cone on the front, and then we got two one by one cylinder tubes with a light green piece at the end to represent the beam pretty simple build but in lore very lethal weapon the vehicle itself is really small if you can picture lego city those like really small packs from back in the day like the entry level vehicles like motorcycles and stuff it's basically the same size it runs standard lego wheels I'm, i want to estimate about one two about like six studs long and two, four studs wide yeah so i think six studs long four studs wide little vehicle I mean, for $4 at the time, you can't expect too much. Very simple little build and great entry set to, you know, just get a taste of the whole dino violence. Yeah, it's like an, like an ATV. I think. Yeah, I think that's the best way to describe it. And something I like that we're going to see throughout the theme is that these vehicles, they're not very well polished and cleaned off. There are going to be like sticker elements of like scratches, dents, and marks. And even the construction itself is very raw, where... The top half of the vehicle might like, show the smooth out armor, but then the bottom side is very exposed. Like here we see more of those one by one cone pieces and even that uh, one by two um, 
axle piece, or I'm not even sure what this one's called these days, but it has a lot of like underside and greebling to show that these vehicles were built in like an apocalyptic world where, you know, you're not going to have perfectly made and presented vehicles. You're just going to piece together what you can to kill these things. Or at least in 2010 worlds, you want to kill these things, not Dino, or sorry, I mixed it up again. Dino Attack World, you want to kill these things. 2010 worlds, you just want to capture, which of course we will be covering in a future episode. But just the, the, fish, the official description for the Steel Sprinter Mutant Lizard is that um, smash the Dino Attack with this Steel Sprinter. Cut off from the rest of the team, Digger must rely on the Steel Sprinter and his Cosmotronic Ray to stop a rampaging mutant dinosaur. Who will win the showdown? You decide. Includes Digger and Mutant Dinosaur. And I mean, just my guess is that Digger probably wins this one, just given that, you know, these mutant lizards do like to operate in packs. So to catch one isolated probably means a quick end to this one. And it is funny, like you said, um, it seems like Lego was a little unsure on what they wanted to describe these things as because the description called them mutant dinos, but we know in the um, lore description, these things were called mutant lizards. And that leads us to our next set, 7474, Urban Avenger versus Raptor. A bigger upgrade this time, also came out in 2005, came with 87 pieces, retailed for around $10. This one's a little pricier nowadays. You can get it for $100 new and $34 used. A little pricier because it will set you around a $0.12 cents price per piece roughly. Came with the Raptor and one minifigure, that being Shadow. So... This set's pretty interesting too. It runs the same theme of broken road, flames in the back, and then a city that's ruined backdrop. And this vehicle runs the same tan and uh, red combo. And this one's a lot more raw if we look at it. It almost looks like a drag vehicle. I think that's the best way to describe mm -hmm. it. It's got, it's very, very raw. Like there's no armor covering it at all. Like the, even the wheel itself or the steering wheel is connected to this rod that's exposed on the front of the vehicle. Like, there's no hood covering or anything. Like all the mechanics are just attached on the top. There's no frills. The front bumper seems really like bare minimum. The the carriage of the vehicle is just a couple like string or um flexible tube elements. And the engine's exposed in the back. It looks like it's a six cylinder. So this one really does look like homemade, home baked vehicle. And of course, it comes with its signature weapon, which is the, it's called the Sonic Screamer. And the official description is that it is designed to incapacitate its target with Sonics. Because of this, it is often used by Dino Attack idealists who prefer incapacitation over killing. In addition to being handheld, Urban Avengers often use mounted Sonic Screamers and every T1 Typhoon has two Sonic Screamers controlled by the rear cockpit, the T1 Typhoon being one of the biggest vehicles they have, which is the helicopter we'll show later on. But yeah, I mean, the Sonic Screamer is built pretty similarly, actually. It's just um, same Lego camera element, but instead of any parts attached this time, it has just a light green piece right on the end of it. And then it's attached to this lower part of like a mini brick and Technic mix of different parts. So it almost looks like a machine gun at the bottom, but... My, yeah, I was gonna say you wouldn't you wouldn't be able to tell just by looking at it that it was supposed to be a sonic weapon. I think that's the the technobabble description working over time to compensate for the fearsome nature of the, the weapon. 
Yeah, I think that's the one thing. Like a lot of these weapons, you couldn't really tell what they're for. But I guess that's kind of the fun of it for kids. Like they can decide what the thing wants to be. But yeah, same thing. Fighting a raptor. What? Um, official description actually says that. Um, defeat the raptor. Shadow rides the urban avenger against the menace of the savage raptor. Use his sonic screamer and high-tech vehicle. Or using his sonic screamer and high-tech vehicle. He must defeat the dinosaur before it's too late. Includes shadow and raptor figure. So, yeah. Pretty interesting set. I mean, from a Lego perspective like a product perspective for ten dollars i think so one thing is that these sets really did provide some good value at the time like you got a big molded part which i think today of molded dinosaurs over ten dollars alone so to get that plus a vehicle and all that um it's a pretty good value but obviously we have to account for inflation and all that which i can't really math the math but i'm gonna hope that it's around a reasonable price point and something interesting. Yeah, I would have loved to pick these two up for, for $15 total. That would have been a great, great value. Yeah, I mean, you get two starter vehicles. You get one mutant lizard and one raptor. Pretty fair fight. You get, yeah, two vehicles to fight two dinosaurs. Sounds fun. And like you said, for 15 But something cool about all these sets, too, is outside of, like, the stickered parts, which are just a couple and a couple sets, a.k.a. the big sets, all these are made from like really common parts. So I know with like our previous pirate theme, James would sometimes bring up some rare parts that are worth a lot. It might be harder to rebuild these days, but all these sets are pretty easy to bricklink and just part together. They're all made with pretty common parts in readily available colors. If not, you can always swap it out for other parts in common colors. So maybe you're a fan of just the vehicles, don't really care too much for the dinos or the, the minifigures. Like, it's really easy to part these things together. All right, Laura Scape. Yeah, I mean, overall, look at these two sets. Uh, out of 10, what are you rating each one individually? Oh, that's a good question. I'm finding it hard to see past just the value of, of having both of these for $15 total. Um, that's a pretty good deal. and I, I, miss, uh, I miss those days, um, even at the time. Uh, you know, $10 per something like the... Urban Avenger versus Raptor, um, we get that big old um, molded dinosaur. Um, and, and that was something that you didn't often see in the smaller sets uh, of the time. So, um, yeah, I think I'd, I'd say solid sevens for both of these. Oh, wow. I was actually going to give this one an eight and a half. So a little difference. But I think, yeah, like you said, for their price point, they did offer a fair amount. Um, I think like we noted, these vehicles are a little bare bone, whether or not it's for the theme itself or for price point, maybe both. Um, yeah, it does feel a little like lacking. It almost feels like a homemade mock, especially with the Urban Avenger. That one, I guess for today's Lego standards, it's almost like it's very bare bones, but maybe that is what they were aiming for back then. Maybe today someone would see this and be like, oh, that looks a little um, unfinished, but really solid sets overall. Of course, there are other sets we'll be covering in the later episodes, but just to kind of introduce the listeners to this Dino Attack Worlds, figured we'd start with the small sets and work our way up. And in the coming episodes, there's just so much to talk about and think about. Like, we've kind of hinted at and looked at all these things, implications of the dinosaurs, where they came from, what they are, like, what's their purpose? Because it can't be just destroy cities and mission accomplished, like... 
it seems like they have some sort of understanding or sentience to carry out a goal for a certain reason. They also seem to be working like coordinated packs together. Like what is the reasoning for all that? How does the Dino Attack team even get formed to begin with? And what was LEGO's grand plan for all this, considering that they did split attack in 2010? Was there going to be like a lore tie-in for all this? You know, lots of interesting questions, and we are really excited to share that as we move on. But something we do want to add at the end of each episode is a little segment for our audio guy, Josh. He is a big dinosaur guy, so, you know, when we talked about Dino Attack and just covering this team, he was really excited just to, you know, give some of his input. So I guess... Josh, to, before we let you go on your spiel, you want to talk about like your interest in dinos, maybe how you came to learn about all this and all that? Indeed, I can talk about that. So I, I'm an engineer, but I studied uh, biology in my last year of college. And I, I'm pretty much interested in all things like evolutionary biology. And obviously, dinos are like the biggest, you know, they ruled the world at one point. And so they're, all, they're often regarded as like the pinnacle of what we study in both evolution and extinction because like how they disappeared in pretty much the snap of a finger but and yeah they're also the most like rich in terms of um evidence of you know past life because they're so abundant in terms of like fossils and uh what we can essentially learn from how they behaved and how their anatomy and physiology uh was like before they were wiped out and they also provide us like a bit of insight as to species that exist today because dinosaurs are still around. They, they fly everywhere. They're just birds and the rest are bye-bye. But yeah, it's kind of where my interest uh, lies. So dinosaurs are just one aspect of like a field that I'm, I really enjoy. So I wouldn't consider myself like an expert in dinosaurs per se. That would be a Karat's job who's been a guest on our podcast before he knows a lot more than me but i know quite a bit about dinosaurs yeah yeah he'll definitely be in a later episode so yeah. if you're a fan of karat definitely <laughs> listen out for him but yeah i mean you know we covered the mutant lizard and raptor today you want to talk a little more about those in like a real life context see like how it compares yeah, i can talk about those two uh one thing that uh has always bothered me since uh we started talking about these sets is the mutant lizards because they don't look anything like lizards and lizards aren't dinosaurs but i digress um what i noticed about the mutant lizards is that um they're built like raptors and raptors are dinosaurs but i thought it would be a good opportunity to sort of discuss like uh physiologically what would set them apart and what makes dinosaurs specifically raptors so special and what you see here is that Obviously, the mutant lizards are bipedal, so they're walking on two legs. And raptors were these group of dinosaurs called theropods who, uh, you know, they included pretty much a lot of your favorite dinosaurs, like raptors, uh, T-Rex, that sort of stuff, like bipedal, you know, dinosaurs. And theropods are special because they eventually, they still exist in the form of birds. So these hips that they developed in order to walk bipedally, that was actually a really key feature in uh, birds eventually being able to fly. Um, essentially, I think they started off as like running creatures, like running hunters. And um, what they learned from birds is that studying juvenile birds, they found out that these legs actually became a really great uh, adaptation for evading uh, predators. 
and not just hunting. And what they eventually found is that when dinosaurs eventually started uh, developing wings and feathers, these um, legs were actually doing the bulk of their work in evading predators because they would run along like angled trees and the wings would just be like stabilizing them. They went, they, they went, didn't know how to fly yet, but they would just kind of use it to like stabilize themselves as they're running up trees. And that's how we eventually got birds. But anyway, um, at first it was just, you know, a hunting thing, you know, they could run like super fast and track prey in packs. Essentially, that's what we learned from raptors. Uh, and yeah, lizards are definitely not bipedal. <laughs> they they uh, they are on all fours. And I don't know why they call them lizards, but whatever. Um, but that's my spiel on the mutant lizards. And I know that they have like certain powers, like uh, I don't know stealth and. I'm sure they're pretty fast as well. But something uh, I thought is pretty cool is that, uh, yeah, we, we know that these dinos like show some sort of intelligence. And that's definitely something that we could observe from seeing like fossils of raptors because they used to hunt in packs and show like extreme intelligence and the way that they basically took down their prey. They were pretty intelligent. But yeah. Um, one more thing about the lizards is that there are a couple of other powers that I thought were pretty interesting if you're going to call them lizards and that's like being like acid and chameleon powers, you know, chameleons actually being lizards. Um, but yeah, um, stuff like acid is pretty interesting because some reptiles do have the ability to shoot or like produce acid and venom. But anyway, I thought that's pretty cool. If you're going to call them lizards, then, you know, there's a lot more opportunity to like pull from nature right now and like come up with like, these awesome powers that they could probably have. So I, think, I thought that's pretty cool. Um, anyway, moving on to like the raptors. This is pretty like a standard way of how you would depict a raptor, even like if it's fictional. The only thing is that they didn't really have horns. But again, another bipedal um, reptile. And it looks like it's just pretty like... Uh, close to how like a normal raptor would be minus like the stuff like a force field obviously they didn't have those back in the day yeah no. <laughs> yeah but um yeah um there's not not much to say about the raptor except the fact that um what it was depicting here fictionally is actually pretty grounded in truth about it being a very effective hunter and uh having incredible senses to like track down prey and stuff and yeah pretty violent creatures they were just built to kill <laughs> so overall what are we giving the vibe check on these dinos i give it like i give it like an eight because we're just looking at these two um you know i'll just rate them as a whole it's a it's a pretty interesting take on dinosaurs i'd like i'd give it an eight and i can't wait to talk about the other two dinosaurs as well but um yeah vibe check passes oh that's great <laughs> so yeah i mean great start to this um the whole series and really appreciate your time both josh and laura Scape. Looking forward to working with you guys for the coming episodes. Of course, be sure to check out Lorascape's YouTube channel, which we will be linking in the description. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram and YouTube, guys, at Blocks and Talks. So yeah, hope you guys enjoyed the episode and see you for part two.